afraid or dismissed for if you have one with you. If you don't, find one under a pew chair near you and turn to 1 John, not the Gospel of John, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to begin looking at that passage in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. A lot of times we say the sun is shining. That is true because it's on fire and it's making light. And sometimes we say the moon is shining. The moon is not shining. The moon is reflecting what the sun is already doing. This morning the sermon title is this. That we, we love because he first loved us. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about loving our spouses. And I've got to tell you that if you're like almost all the rest of us, if you'd really be honest, there are times when your spouse just simply is not lovable. Oh, by the way, just before you point any fingers, make sure that you understand that you are not always lovable either. And it's really not all that easy. In fact, it's almost impossible to love somebody that's just being miserable today. They woke up on the wrong side of the bed. They're disagreeing. Whatever it happens to be. They're just not really all that lovable. The only way that it's possible to love is in the same way that the moon reflects what the sun is doing. And that's the concept this morning. Now, in my lifetime, some things have happened with that word love. Do you remember, I was in grade school yet when the Beatles were a big thing. And one of their songs had about six words. All you need is love. And it went over and over and over and over. And it's like, oh, people are like, oh, isn't that so lovely, you know. All we need is love. Well, the truth of the matter is, that was a lot of fluff. And then, I guess I was maybe... I don't know, maybe in college or something. I don't remember. But there was a movie came out that was called um, Love Story. And there was a catch line that went to it. It was a dumb movie. i got to tell you that. Well, maybe somebody liked it. But anyway, it was a dumb movie. But it says, love never means saying you're sorry. Remember? Anybody old enough to remember? Anyway. Oh, oh no. (laughs) Some of you just showed your age. But the point is... Look at that phrase. I'm like, I didn't understand it back then, and today it makes less sense yet. And then there was a song. It's on page 641 in our hymn book. Now, you don't need to turn there, but it's called Pass It On. Here's what it says, written in 1969. So it's right about that thing. At least somebody got the concept of love right. It says there at the end of the first stanza, that's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, You spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. Now, you might think that's a corny little contemporary song from back then, but it's the truth. If I have something that has been a profound experience in my life, I am going to want to pass it on to someone else. There wasn't a parent up here today that didn't want to show their child off. And there wasn't a grandparent or a parent... Uh, a, a grandparent or great-grandparent sitting in the audience that wasn't thinking, that's my grandkid. You know? Because we're happy about it. We want to pass it on. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because I have nothing to pass on unless I already know it myself. Did you ever get in a conversation with somebody that is telling you how it is? 
I don't care what this is. And then you realize that this person read an article someplace or somebody told them about this and now they're an expert and they're trying to tell you how to do it. I'll tell you what. You know, we have names for those people like know-it-alls and, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, you just don't want to listen to them. But now if it's somebody that's read an article and they did it themselves and they experienced it and they've been doing it for years, we look and say, wow, I better listen because this person knows what they're talking about. We don't call them a know-it-all. We say, they're wise. They know the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the good and the bad. They know it all. And they can help us along. Hopefully, part of what I'm going to do this morning will be to help you along no matter where you are in your life. The key thing that goes beyond everything that I'm doing this morning, that's not supposed to be up there. Uh, The key thing that I want to do today is tell you that there is a God who loves you. You don't deserve it. You have done nothing to merit it. But He in and of Himself loves you because He chose to love you. And if you experience that love, you can turn around and love somebody else. As we go through this sermon, we'll come back to this several times. It's like, how am I going to love my spouse under these circumstances? I'm just going to tell you, you can't. But I can tell you that there's a God who will show you His love and allow you to experience His love and His forgiveness and His salvation so that in the midst of an impossible situation, you will be able to turn around and love that person. That's the key to this passage. So let's look at it. 1 John 4, verse 7. It says this. this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God God abides in him. I cannot pass on what I don't know. That is an impossibility. But what I know, I can pass on to someone else. Let's look at what this says. First of all, it says that love is from God. Love is not some mushy, gushy kind of thing. And it says 
that God is love. It doesn't say love is God. I got to tell you, a lot of the world says, well, if you love, you're being God-like. Well, that's partly true. But most religion says love is like the epitome. That's not what the Bible says. Because there is an author of love. There is a source of love, and that is an almighty, eternal God who has chosen to love us who are unlovable. We haven't merited it, as I said before. We don't deserve it at all, but He loves us in spite of that. And it's not in words only. If all we had was the Bible and it said, well, God is love and God loves you, oh, that would be nice. But that's a little bit like in your marriage when your spouse says, I love you, and at the same time, it's just really giving you a miserable time. You go, you're a hypocrite. Actually, it's a lot worse than that. It gets in a fight at that point, right? Because they're not only being a hypocrite, but they're lying. Because nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, tell somebody that you love them. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the Bible, every time it talks about love, it's an action word. Love is an action. Here's essentially what it comes down to. It is, I take the initiative at my own expense to meet the needs of someone else, expecting no return. The moment you expect return, it's no longer love. It is unilateral. It costs me. And it's for the good and the benefit and the welfare of another person. I'll tell you what. This love is an impossible thing to give if you haven't experienced it. The love that we see, it says that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's how much he loved us. Propitiation, who knows what that word means. Real simple. Complete satisfaction. God's wrath, God's judgment... His holiness was completely, totally satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross and shed his blood, gave his life, he paid for our sins. That video said, your father's DNA, we all have it. We have a sin nature inbred. We were born that way. You did not teach your children to hit their sister, to lie, to cheat, to sneak. You didn't. Teach them any of you didn't teach them to roll their eyes and have a bad attitude. You didn't teach them any of those things. They got that naturally. Why? Because we're born with the sin nature. And then we act it out. You don't teach it, you don't take an animal and teach it to bark and call it a dog. No, it barks because it is a dog. That's why we do bad stuff. Because we have a sin nature. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sin nature as well as we got a fly up here. Somebody want to take care of it? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I almost swallowed the thing. But <laughs> seriously, I'm telling you, it was right there, and I breathed in. It was not good. Um, <laughs> they don't taste that good. Um, <laughs> the truth is, when he died, he died for our sin nature, as well as all the acts of sin that we have done. Completely satisfying the holiness of God. Wow. Now, that is real love. See, I wouldn't do that for me. You wouldn't do that for me. You may not even want to do that for your spouse or your children. It's like they got what they deserved. God said, no, I could give them what they deserved. That would be hell. That would be discipline, punishment. 
eternal separation from God. But no, he sent Jesus Christ, who willingly, because he loved us, came and died in our place. Now that, when we accept that by faith and we accept his payment by faith, we now have experienced a love that is unconditional. No conditions. He didn't say clean up your life first. See, if you could clean up your life, you don't need Christ. If you could get to heaven by being good enough, you don't need Christ, you don't need the church, you don't need Bible, you don't need anything. You'd be okay. You'd be perfect. You'd also be a hypocrite because there is nobody that always gets it right. God looks at it and says, it's not only the actions, but it's the attitude. If I have lust, I'm an adulterer. adulterer. If I am covetous, I'm an idolater. If I hate my brother, I'm a murderer. Wow, that's a standard nobody can meet. It's much, a lot of people think that God's standard is the Ten Commandments. Oh, he gave them, but his standard is much higher than that. It goes right down into the very depths of our soul, our spirit, our mind, our emotions. All of us come up wanting. But when we have experienced His love in the forgiveness that He has given us through faith in Jesus Christ, then I can turn around and I can indeed love my spouse. If you're here this morning and you're married, you know that it's all, it's, it's many times can be a very difficult time. But if we know God, if we're born of God and we know Him by experience then we can show that love to someone else. And we can do those things that humanly are not possible. Notice what it said in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Notice that. Notice the direction. He loved first. We simply responded to it in faith. If you've trusted Christ. If you haven't trusted Christ, believe me, this whole rest of this will be an exercise in fertility. You need to trust Christ. That's an act of faith. There's nothing you can do to merit it or deserve it or any of those kinds of things. And it's not coming to church and any of those types of things. It's not going through a ritual. It is me admitting I'm a sinner and asking Jesus Christ to save me. It's an act of faith. And he says, I will forgive you. And then he shows us his love by experience. Oh, his love is already there because he died 2,000 years ago. But we will now experience that love. The word know in this passage is to know by experience. It's not I know about. It's I know it in my life. It's real in my life. And that's the way it is. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's verse 11. So if I've experienced God's love, then I need to love my spouse. And that's the only way I can unconditionally love my spouse. Otherwise, you are trying, and I can tell you right now, if you're a couple that's here, and you're trying to love one another on your own power, you're somewhat frustrated. Probably a lot frustrated. And you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. You know what? On your own, I'm not sure you're going to make it either. But with God's help. See, if I've experienced his love, then I can love in that same way. 
That's what I want. Then we ought to love one another. My kids, when they were teenagers, and I don't know how many years ago this was, um, you know, they ask you those questions that you wish you never got asked, but I'm glad I got asked this one. I don't know which kid it was anymore. I have four kids, in case anybody doesn't know. Um, And one of them said, Dad, did you love Mom when you got married? Really good question. I got to tell you, it was like, whoop, screech. Whoa, I haven't answered that one yet. But I thought for a couple of seconds, and I said, you know what? I think I was just beginning to know what love was. Let me tell you why I said that. My wife and I dated for four years before we got married. The first three and a half years were pretty near worthless. It was based on all the wrong things. Hey, my wife is good looking. That was based on that. We liked each other. It was based on that, which also caused a lot of other problems. Six months before we got married, we were at church, and we heard that we needed to trust Christ. I remember thinking. I went out to the car. I wasn't even saved at that point yet. I was, got saved three, four days later. But I went, and I said, you can throw away your pills, okay? You can explain that to your kids later. But anyhow, you can throw them away. You know what? That is the first time I can think back and I remember I really love my wife in the right way. Before that, it was all the wrong stuff. And then, for six months, we started growing as Christians and started to understand what love was. So you know what my answer to kids is? I was just beginning to even understand what love was. But you know what? I'm not too much worried about that. I'm not concerned about that right now because I now can tell you I love your mother more than I ever have before. That's the important thing. It is a growing, ongoing experience because just like we learn about God and how he works in our lives and how much he has done for us as we study the scriptures, as we're fellowshipping together and, and, uh, you know, coming to grips with all the things he has done for us, we, we appreciate him in much greater way. In the same way, that love relationship needs to grow. Oh, I liked my wife, and even when I got married, I can say I started to love her. But now I have some experience. I got a 35 years, just shy of 35 years worth. And believe me, she tells you that I still need about 35 more years experience to get it all right. But here's what I'd like to do this morning. I had a lot of theology last night, but until about 10 o'clock last night, I came up with this. And I've done this many times before. It usually takes me a whole quarter to go through this in Sunday school class. But I'd like to examine that relationship of growing in love and take it in five stages. Now, this first one is for any teenager, it's going to sound funny to everybody that's married. To you, it's not going to sound funny because you're going to think I'm pecking on you. But the truth of the matter is, before you're married, you look at marriage as a fantasy. It's the anticipation. Marriage is going to solve all my problems. I'm going to get away from my parents. I'm not going to have to take their rules and regulations. And I'm going to be with this person I love. And everything is going to be the knight in shining armor and the princess with her little white dress on. Uh Uh-huh. Amen. All the men said amen. Okay, uh, anyway. It is thinking you're in love. 
Notice, in love is not a biblical concept, okay? But it's that emotions that go with that. There's nothing wrong with it, of course, but it's thinking we're in love. Thinking you know love. You don't even know love until you've said, I do, and you've committed. I can remember the first argument I had with my wife. Dead serious about this. I don't know when it was. It was shortly after marriage. And I'm thinking, I don't believe in divorce. I better get this worked out. That's commitment. That's where love starts really hitting the hard times. It's taking for granted living at home or living single. If you think it's bad living at home, you got it good. Can I get an amen from some parents here? Okay. Kids, you'll all think I'm nuts, but that's okay. Give it a few years, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You really don't have any problems. In all kinds of counseling, when people come to my office, they usually walk in and say, this is what's happening in my life, in my marriage, whatever, and there's a problem, you can find it within two sentences of when they start. Premarital counseling is completely different than that. They walk in my office with no problems. Oh, I know other people have marriage problems, but not us. We're the perfect couple. And they look at me like I've got two heads, because I say, not if... But when this happens, here's how you deal with this. This is how you deal with money. This is how you deal with an argument. This is how, you know, and they think I'm crazy. But you know what? I'm not backing off because I've been around for a while. See, I've experienced what God has done in my life, and I've experienced marriage itself. So guess what? You may not think I'm an expert, but I'll tell you what. I'm the closest thing I know to an expert. And by the way, if you've been married for a while, so are you. And young people, we got a bunch of them here. If your parents say this is the way it is, please listen to them. They know a lot more than you think. Why? Because they're smarter than you? No, you're definitely smarter than they are. They're wiser than you. They've been there and experienced it. That's the difference. My kids are all smarter than I am. But I've been there, done that, understand a little bit better. The attraction of anything but being single like desperation. I don't want to be single. Oh no, what if I'm an old maid or a, what's a guy? Just an old geezer, whatever. I I don't know. But you know what? Anything is better than this. But that's where we start. We have these grandiose ideas. But love is a growing, ongoing kind of thing. Now, continuing on. Then there's the honeymoon states. Approximately from the time you say I do to a year. There's the fascination of something new. And let's face it, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, but it's a, a growing process. The sensation of being in love. It's like, wow. You know what? We don't have to go, oh, we, we're here. We're, we, you know, it's all great. It is learning to leave home. Any young marriage here, please. Part of learning to love your spouse is not bringing my mother didn't do it that way. My dad could fix that. Don't do it. The Bible says a man shall leave his father, mother shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You're in a new family unit. You got to work on it. Okay to get advice from your parents at that point yet. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. But rubbing it in their face that they can't fix the car or they don't bake a cake the same as mom... Don't do it. It causes problems. It's learning to leave home. See, remember I said you you don't know how good you had it until you left? Wow, I saw what time it is. Hang on a second. We're going to move. Okay, overlooking most problems, uh, there's the the attractions of, of just being a newlywed. 
And then there's the adjustment stage, learning to fit together. At that point, some kids have come along usually. And you're learning how the two of you work together. That's a part of learning to love. It's establishing the actions of love. It tests your commitment. Wow, it's not only us now, but we got a kid that we need to get in the right direction. <laughs> and we didn't get any sleep last night. Are we really committed to this? The answer is, if you love them the way God loved you, you are. You find the unresolvables. All of you English majors, you'll find there is no English word. I made that up. But uh, it's those things that you now look back and you remember. There was a time when you and your spouse disagreed on something and you had to agree to disagree without being disagreeable. That's what I'm talking about. And then there's the emotions of attraction. It's all those neat things that you're able to do. And then there's the comfortable state. Five years into marriage until the kids are gone. Okay? It's the time when your career is at its peak. Uh, you're ministering to other people. You're, you now have a little extra time that you can reach out from your family unit and help somebody else. That is working together. And it's reaching out with love because you've now learned how to love each other and how you fit together. So now you can start helping somebody else. It's when you become a leader in the church or a youth leader and you're like, I want to teach this next generation. I want to help this next generation so they don't go go through the same problems I did. I want to inform them, help them in that direction. There is the security. Hey, we made it through the tough times, and we are indeed committed to each other. It's living above the problems, and now there's an intellectual attraction because by now you've grown on each other. Hopefully by now you've grown on each other and become strong in this whole thing. And you start thinking alike, and you can finish each other's sentences and... You know, you can tell the kids the same thing without even discussing it, okay? You understand that. And then there's the one, my wife is over there, yeah, that's us, okay? That means we're old. But the kids are gone, and i got to tell you, I wouldn't give back, well, a few days I would give back of raising kids. But you know what? When the last kid was gone, my wife cried for five minutes and redecorated the room, and we moved on. Ah! <laughs> right, Amy? Yes. She was glad to be out too. But anyhow. But now, it's back to like when you first got married. You have time together. It's not, okay, what do, do we have to pick the kids up? Do we have to do this? What's the schedule? I'll tell you what. I wouldn't trade where I'm at for anything right now. But you know what? It's a growing process. Because the way God deals in my life is the way I can turn around and deal with my wife. And that's the kind, it's the caring of love. You've been together that you can't even comprehend the thought of not being with the person. It's a fulfillment of a commitment. You see the, the maturity of it coming out. Problems don't matter. Well, that's not totally true, but I got to tell you, like the kids are gone. Wow. That gets stressful. Anybody amen that stress on the kid, from the kids? No, nobody believes that. Okay. Anyway, and then there's the attraction of time. You've just kind of grown together, as I mentioned before. This next one is one that's hard. And I'm going to tell you there were people crying after the first service, and that's okay. I want you to understand it's a hard place to be. Nobody said this living in love and living out God's love was easy. In fact, it's impossible. But this is the time when a spouse dies, or it doesn't have to even be that, a separation or divorce. And by the way, a separation can be still living in the same household. 
but with a separation. It's a hard place to be because it's the grief of loss. This is for life. And all of a sudden, something's wrong. Something's drastically wrong. It rips your heart out. There's the longing of love because you've experienced putting the other person first over and over again, and now they're gone. It's like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what direction. I don't know how to think anymore. There's the pain of commitment. I committed to this, and now it's gone for whatever reason. But this, for my purposes, it doesn't matter what the reason is. But something I have committed to and worked on and allowed God to work in me through His love and given that love to somebody else, all of a sudden, commitment's gone. I, I, I just don't even know who I am. And then, number four, the biggie, the pain, the hardship, the problem of loneliness. It's the one. It's a killer. It's tough. But just remember, God still loves you exactly the way he did from the first time you experienced his love. He's still there. He hasn't gone out of business. And when you're alone, you come back to him. And then there's the attraction of the past. You look back and reminisce. I don't know. I think my grandpa liked me, but I'll tell you what I think he really liked is when he would come to our house, I would listen to his stories about old so-and-so who lived on the farm on the other side of the creek who did this, and I had no idea who he was talking to. But I think he just enjoyed being able to talk to somebody who listened to his stories. But you say, okay, I've seen all what you've just presented here, and you know what? You don't know my spouse. You don't know my situation. You know what? I probably don't. I don't even need to know it. But if you can't love your spouse, or you don't think you can love your spouse, here's the solution. You need to get closer to the Savior. Because when we experience His love, that's so overwhelming, so unconditional, so rich, that we realize from that position of strength, with a relationship with the Savior, I can, by His strength, by His example, by everything that He's done in my life, I can love somebody who is simply not being lovable at the moment. That's the way it is. See, if you can't love your spouse, because this is a marriage series, if you can't love your spouse, you need to go back and strengthen the relationship with the Savior. Because only from that position do you have the wherewithal to love somebody else. That's the bottom line. If you can't love, go back to the Savior. Fellowship with Him. Learn the depth of His love for you so that you, like the moon, can reflect what the sun has been shining on you. And so you're coming from a place of brightness, a place of strength, a place of unconditional love, so that you can turn around and love somebody else. That's the only way you can do it. Because i got to tell you, if my wife was still sitting here, she'd say there are days that Paul is not that lovable. fact is, I would say, probably she'd say, some days I don't even really like him all that much. And you know what? I'm not talking out of turn because all of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just tough some days. But if it's tough and you say, I can't make it, I can't do it, I can't show that love, what you need is a stronger relationship with the Savior. That's what you need. If you don't know Him as your Savior, please don't leave today 
come talk to myself, talk to Pastor John. We'll get you somebody that will show you from the Scripture how you can know that unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Because then you can begin to love others in your life, specifically your spouse and your family. It's very difficult at times, but it's available. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has met all of our needs. You have loved us unconditionally, unilaterally. You gave the ultimate sacrifice, your blood, dying on the cross for us. From a result of that, we can exp- uh, when we trust you, we can experience that love. And then we, in turn, because we know your love, we can also love one another. Lord, help us in our marriages to love our spouses. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, because we had so many things going on, we are going to dismiss without a song this morning. Lord bless. Go with God. You're dismissed. I'm going to watch it. You'll run me over. Good to see you, Glenn. Diet. I got it right. Wow. Hey. Hey. A bear. Oh, yeah, I know. Is he, is he lovable every day? No. Barb, Barb, is he lovable every day? No. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. That's okay. Hey, great job, young man. Did you teach him? <laughs> oh, yeah, but... Did I really? <laughs> I don't think that's possible. The tables that we borrow, the, the one table was laying in front of the door, of the closet. TJ claimed that you told him to put it in front of the door, so it was blocking. So then when we brought the two tables down, we just laid it in front of the door. TJ just didn't, I, I, I obviously didn't make it. Good morning. Should we put the tables back? Yeah, they go in the room. That's where they actually, yeah. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Good to have you back again. Good morning, Rose. AJ, good to see you this morning. I mean, he looks like you. Anyway.